the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. While you're turning there, I'll tell you a little stale joke. There was a fellow that died. He went up to heaven at the pearly gates and St. Peter was there. He said, how did I get in? St. Peter says, well, we got, we're on a point system here. You get 100 points, we'll let you through the gate. <clears throat> the guy says, well, how do I get points? Peter says, well, you tell me the good things you did on the earth, and I'll tell you how many points you get. And if you get 100 points, you can come on in. So the guy says, okay, well, I was married to the same woman for 50 years. Peter said, wow, that's awesome. Two points. The guy said, two points for being married to the same woman? For... Well, I, I, I was a deacon at my church for 25 years. He goes, that's great. Good job. You get a point for that, too. One point for 25 years? Do you know I worked it? I started the soup kitchen down there at the, at the center. Been working it for years. Great job, fella. Another two points. This guy's like, how am I going to get 100 points? He said, at this rate, it had to be the grace of God for me to get in. He goes, bingo, 100 points. Come on in. Because that's the only way you're getting in, by the grace of God. He was just kidding about them points you thought you was getting. Are you there yet? 1 Corinthians 13. Some of you have uh, well worn the path to 1 Corinthians 13, hopefully. If, you've got a, if you're living uh, a beautiful life of love, you know how to get to 1 Corinthians 13. Let's just say it like that. Verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. I didn't realize, but I just prayed that, didn't we? We're never giving up. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Sometimes when I say turn to 1 Corinthians 13, I can hear almost audible groans. Oh, we're going to preach from about love again. Here we go. Yet still, more people can quote 1 Corinthians 13 than can demonstrate it. So until we're all demonstrating it, keep that path open. 1 John 4, 8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is 
love. That kind of blows the way I saw love out of the water there. I mean, I thought love was an emotion or a feeling or something, but God himself is love. So you want to know what love looks like? Go back to 1 Corinthians 13. You want to see what a picture of God? You want to see another picture of God? Turn to Hebrews 1. Just a few chapters over, probably. Verse 3. The sun radiates God's own glory. And it's not talking about the S-U-N sun. It's talking about the S-O-N sun. It's talking about Jesus. He radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. So it's saying when you see Jesus, you see God. Is that correct? Jesus came to the earth so that we could have a tangible expression of an invisible God. He shows us God's glory, which is God's goodness. And, and He shows us the very character of God. And so if God is love, what is God's character? So we want to know what love looks like. Who do we look at? Jesus. We can't see God. We hear about God, but if we want to see Him, we see Him in the face that is painted for us in the New Testament in the face of Jesus Christ. And it says He sustains everything. You see, you remember in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then Colossians 1.16 says that Everything was created by Jesus and for Jesus. So Jesus was the one that spoke the word in the beginning. He is the great I am. He and the Father are one. And he sustains everything by his mighty power of his command. By the mighty power of his command. So his command created everything. His word. And so what is his command to us? To love. To love Him and to love one another. You see how this is tied all together? God's love is the most powerful force in all of the universe. Sometimes it looks like love is being defeated, but not, love never is. Sometimes it looks like in the natural that love is being crushed and abused. But true love never loses. And you're either working with love or you're working against it on this earth. There's two types of people. There's dead and dark and alive and love. And so the whole earth had turned dark at the sin of at Adam. But even, even so, God already had a plan to bring light back into the world, to bring love back into the situation. Now, there's typically three types of responses to God's love in this world that I could think of. Three types of responses. And you find all three, I found, in the parable that Jesus tells about the prodigal son. 
Those three types of responses I've classified as demonstrating God's love, rejecting God's love, and confused by God's love. What? What was that? (laughs) You just don't understand it. You're demonstrating it, or you're rejecting it, or you just don't understand it. Three responses to God's love. In the parable, a parable. In the parable of the prodigal, the, the parable of the prodigal son, you have a father who has a, a big estate, obviously. He's got servants and stuff. And, and he's got two sons, a younger and an older son. And I think it's in Luke 15. The younger son comes to his dad and says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. Just divide up to me what's going to be mine. Now, that's kind of rude because that's not supposed to happen until the father dies. You get your inheritance. But what he's saying is, I want mine now. I don't care if you're still alive. I want want mine. You're dead to me. Give me my inheritance. I'm ready to go. Now, Now, notice both of these boys are living in the house with their father. All right, so the younger son gets his inheritance, and the father goes ahead and gives the the rest of the inheritance to the older boy. So he split the inheritance between his two sons. And then the younger boy packs his bags, and a couple days later, he hits the road. I'm out of here. I don't care nothing about your little kingdom, Dad. I'm going to build my own. And he heads off to the big city where he indulges in every kind of sin that you can probably imagine. He just wants to have fun. He just wants to do life. He's got his own ideas of what life is supposed to be about. Now, is this younger son, is he demonstrating love? Obviously not. Is he confused about love? Maybe, but I think mostly he's rejecting love. He's just, I don't want that. I want my own. I want mine now. And sadly, that's where most of the world is right now. Seven billion people on the planet. They claim, maybe three billion or so is claimed to be Christians. But for the most part, people are rejecting God's love. So he goes on. And he has a good old time for a little while. I can imagine he's got him some friends down at the bar. He's buying rounds. He's doing everything that we don't even want to think about. It says don't 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 even let it come to your mind what the those kind of people do. So we're not going to talk about all that, but he's doing a bunch of stuff. Wild living. And guess what? It don't take long for your inheritance to run out when you live in wild. And at the same time, a famine hits the land. And so he's not only broke, he's hungry. And all these friends he thought he made down at the nightclub, they ain't his friends now that his checkbook is all run out. Now that he ain't buying shots no more. In fact, he's starving to death. They won't even give him anything to eat. He finds one guy that will let him work. And he goes out to slop this guy's pigs, and he looks down at the 
the pods that he's feeding the pigs and his stomach's growling. I, I just wish I could eat one of those. How bad is it that the guy won't even let him eat the pig pods? I don't know what a pod is, but the, he's so hungry he wants to eat one of them. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but the guy won't even let him eat none of his pig pods. <laughs> See, I told you we're living in a world that don't understand any kind of love. So he thinks to himself over the growling of his stomach, says, I'm going back home because even the servants at my daddy's house are eating good. And I'll tell daddy, I'm sorry. I'll say I've sinned against you and against God, and I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just, just let me be like one of your hired helps just so that I can eat. That's pretty sad, isn't it? It's like Esau gave up his birthright for a bowl of stew. You know, all that he had coming, you know, was, everything that he needed was there, but he left it. And then he comes back, and he's going to have to come back at a reduced rate. He's going to have to come back just as a servant. He, he's, not, he's not coming back as a son. So he takes off home, and he's dragging his head and holding his stomach. And when he's still a long way off, the Bible says that his father sees him coming. So his father must have been waiting on the front porch, longing for his son to come home. And his father runs to him, and, and the boy's seeing his dad coming. He don't know what he's fixing to do, but he's preparing his speech. Dad, I, I've sinned against you and against God, and, 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 and um, I'm not worthy. And his dad just <laughs> grabs him and holds him and hugs him and kisses him. So good to see you, boy. Quick, quick, what are you wearing, son? Get, get the, the robe, get him a fresh robe and some shoes for his feet and get him, get him the signet ring so he, he knows that he's part of this family. The signet ring was what you stamp things with to put it on the family account. Kill the fatted calf too. We're going to party. Now, was the father... Confused about love? Was the father rejecting love? He was demonstrating love. Wasn't he? Man, that's good to know. Do you ever find yourself thinking that you're not worthy and you've been out about you can always come home. You can come back. The Father put that robe of righteousness back on your shoulders if you will humble yourself and come over that mountain. Come back home. Well, the party's going on into the evening. They didn't hire a band. They're eating making a lot of noise, just joy in the house. And the older son comes from working in the fields, and he gets close to all the noise, and he asks one of the servants, what, what's going on? What's all the noise? Your brother came home, and your dad killed the fatted calf, and we're celebrating. He said, what? Gets mad. He gets mad that his brothers come home. 
He wasn't like his dad. Is he demonstrating love? Is he rejecting love? He's confused about love. What he thinks he knows about love won't fill a thimble. He's upset that somebody else has been shown mercy. And so he's going to sit outside and pout. And we got a lot of Christians, or so-called Christians in the body of Christ, that sit around and pout like, who was it? Jonah. Well, I don't want to preach to them. They'll get saved. I don't want them to get saved. He's out there pouting because his brothers come home. His dad goes out. He says, son, come on in. The party's going on. Your brother came home. He's totally expecting him to be excited for his bro- that his brother's home. He's like, dad, I've been working for you all these years. Never once did you give me a fatted calf to party with my friends. And he don't even call him his brother. He don't say my brother. But, but this son of yours has been out partying with harlots and spent all his money, all your money, and you're going to let him come right back up in here. And the dad says, son, you've been with me always, and everything that I have is yours. See, the older brother didn't understand love. He didn't partake of the grace of God, so he he didn't think anybody else should. He didn't live like a king's son. He thought he had to be out in the fields working for it. Now, there's nothing wrong with working. But God's like, hey... This life is supposed to be a celebration. You're supposed to partake of my goodness all the time. The father says you could have had a party with your friends anytime. You just didn't ask me. But your son, my son, your brother was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. And it is right that we should celebrate. Do you see? You got people who reject God's love. And that's probably most of us. If we look at our history, most of us, probably at some point in our life, said, I'm not doing it the Father's way. I'm leaving this kingdom. I'm going to build my own. I'm going to do it my way. I know best. Don't need all that love stuff. And you go set out to build your own kingdom. Whether you get into riotous living or not, I don't know. I did. And then you got some who have been in the church all their life, but have never enjoyed a minute of it. like a drag to a mall, i got to go to church. 
been in the kingdom all their life. To them, God is nothing but rules and regulations. Stern, never having fun. God is just this cosmic killjoy that shoots everything down that I want to do. I can't have fun if I'm going to be a Christian. And they want to make sure that everybody else doesn't have fun in their Christianity either. And they want to fill their church. They want their house only to be for the godly. No, don't bring they don't, they can't come in our church. You know where he's been? They're like the Pharisees. You mean Jesus is eating with sinners? Well, Jesus said, I didn't come for the well, I came for the sinner. I came for the broken. And the, and the truth is we're all sinners and we're all broken. And he came for us all and some of us don't recognize that we're broken. But then you got the Father who demonstrates love. He's op- His arms are always open. He's always welcoming somebody to another chance. He's always ready to celebrate when you've made a good decision, when you come back home. And even the hard-headed, confused about love people are still his children, and he still reasons with them and goes to them and says, look, there's a better way. There's a better way to love folks. And then you have other children who grow from these experiences. I wonder how the younger son did after he saw the richness of the mercy of his father. I wonder if he acted a little differently after that. When he, after he came back home. For, to him who is forgiven much, they love much. Right? And so I wonder if, if he was different. Maybe he started to be a demonstrator of the father's love. No longer rejecting it. And not getting on board with those who don't who want to hoard it for themselves. But a demonstrator of God's love. And I believe God would have us all be demonstrators of his love. Stop rejecting it and stop being confused about what it what it means. Rejecting love is the most common response. I thought about Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus? Wee little man. He was a short little man and he couldn't see over the crowd, but he heard Jesus was coming by. Now he's a tax collector. Tax collectors are despised and for good reason because they cheated the people all the time. And so something must have been going on in Zacchaeus' life He must have been saying, I'm tired of eating these pig pods. I've tasted what all the money that I can have and the big house and everything. But there was a yearning in Zacchaeus' heart to see something more. He wanted to see over the crowd. He wanted to see Jesus, even though he was short-sighted all his life. And so he climbs the sycamore tree. He gets a different perspective. He wants to see Jesus. 
And guess what? When Jesus comes walking by, he notices Zacchaeus. He notices the change in Zacchaeus. And he goes up to Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus? Says, is Zacchaeus? Because Jesus had to stutter. No, just kidding. No, that's just me. But he said, let's go eat supper at your house tonight. And Zacchaeus said, what? And he jumps down from the tree and he leads Jesus and all his disciples and they go to Zacchaeus' house and they're eating and drinking and Zacchaeus is running around making sure everybody's cups filled and getting food together and he's so excited and, and something has changed in Zacchaeus. Because he's been short-sighted all his life and he, he didn't know love. He had rejected love. But now love is in his house. And he can see love face to face. And something has changed in him. And he's like, I want this. And he just blurts out, Jesus, I'm going to sell everything I have and give half to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to give them back four times as much. All this stuff don't matter to me anymore. And love took a hold of Zacchaeus. And meanwhile, the Pharisees are out there saying, why is that man eating in with them sinners? Confused about love. <laughs> Jesus said, salvation has come to your house today, Zacchaeus. I look at my life. I certainly rejected God's love. I took off in my own direction. I knew who God was, but it wasn't enough for me. At first, I was, I was sowing my wild oats or my wild pig pods or whatever it was. And I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. And, but after I had made a mess of my life like Zacchaeus, and I found myself empty after the whole ordeal, I decided to go back home. I came to this church and I got a different glimpse of Jesus than I'd ever seen before. And I just felt like Zacchaeus. It's funny, I, want, I want to stop being a rejecter and I want to start being a demonstrator. I just want to love. I just, just want to stay in love. I want to have extravagant love like Jesus. And I bet that's many of your stories. I'm almost sure of it. I think of somebody confused by God's love, the Apostle Paul. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. Didn't we just read 1 Corinthians 13 on the love chapter? I'm, he wasn't confused about love. He wrote that. No, no, no. I'm talking about back when he was Saul. You know, before God knocked him off his high horse on the road to Damascus. You see, he was all proud of himself. Killing Christians, gathering them up, putting them in jail. He had great zeal for the things of God. He was a Pharisee. And he loved God the best he knew how. He had great zeal for God. He thought he was doing God a favor by wiping out this Christian sect. I looked up the word zeal. It says great energy or enthusiasm. In pursuit of a cause or an ob objective. Nothing wrong with that. 
We should all have great energy and enthusiasm in our pursuit of a cause or an objective. Nothing wrong with that. But zeal alone is not enough. Zeal alone will kill. Look at the Muslims. ISIS has great zeal for Allah. Their imaginary God. And they are willing to kill women and children. Great zeal in their heart. They feel like they're doing God a favor. And they are willing to die for a lie. But Paul. The father's love cured him of his critical spirit. When Paul learned that God believed the best about him, he began to believe the best about others. When Paul realized that I'm the chiefest of sinners, now that I see, when God opened his eyes and took those, removed those scales and said, you've been persecuting me, Paul, I'm God. And when he understood what Jesus was saying, that you've been persecuting my church and persecuting my children is the same as persecuting me, there must have been a great, tremendous fear rise up in Paul. I have been fighting against God. I have been confused about what love is. And I am the chiefest of sinners, he says. But when he saw the Father demonstrate mercy unto someone who had killed his children he could not help but demonstrate that same mercy to others and it radically changed Saul to the apostle Paul as we know him who wrote 1 Corinthians 13 by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who lived it by the power of the Holy Spirit in him God put some real deal on his zeal. I think about James and John traveling with Jesus. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, about to be crucified. And he knows it, and he's on his way. He wants to go through Samaria. And he sends some disciples ahead and says, you know, see if they'll let us pass through or stay the night. Or I don't know what they were doing, but something he wanted to make arrangements in Samaria. And they came back and says, well, we heard you was going to Jerusalem, so you ain't passing this way. Because... The Jews and the Samaritans, racist, both of them, hated one another, racial issues of some sort, I don't know. But that really upset James and John. They're indignant. Jesus, you're going to let them do that? Let us call fire down from heaven. We'll get them. Let's, just, let's do like, uh, what was that old pro prophet? Elisha, let's call fire down from heaven on them. And it says, Jesus rebuked them. He said, you know not what spirit you're of, buddy. That ain't even close to what we do. That's not what love does. Destroy our enemies. We pray for our enemies. How are we going to 
reach them if we're trying to destroy them. We have our love has a higher goal than just winning here on earth. You understand? Our win is different than the world's win. Our win is winning souls. He who wins souls is wise. That makes sense? So Jesus rebuked him, said, you know what, not what spirit you're of. Are you, anybody still got their finger on 1 Corinthians or go back there? 1 Corinthians 13 again. We read verses 4 through 6. Now we're going to back up and, and read 1 through 3. Apostle Paul was a quick learner. He says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I'd, always, I'd only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I'd be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, sacrificed my body even, if I, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. I'm glad you got theology. I'm glad that you can speak well. I'm glad that you read the Bible and you can memorize a lot of verses. I'm glad that you give of yourself and of your time and try to, to help people. But if you don't have love, you're wasting your breath and your energy and your time. Love will remain when everything else is passed away. Faith, hope, and love. These three. And the greatest of these is love. See, the good news is Apostle Paul, Zacchaeus, myself, all of us who've been rejecting God's love, and all of us who have confused God's love, God still wants to demonstrate His love. And we can too begin to reflect God's love like the dad in the parable. We can have mercy on each other. See, those who show mercy will obtain mercy. Why would you want to be critical and have a critical spirit about everybody you run into, pointing out their faults, thinking bad of everybody all the time? Do you want that to come back on you? Or do you want God's mercy? Psalms 86.5 says, Lord, you are so good. Woo, thank you, Jesus. Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive. So full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. Help me love, Lord. Help me love, Lord. Just ask Him. He's so ready to give for all who ask. Just ask Him, help me love, Lord. Help me take off these blinders and off these rose-colored glasses that see everybody else's sin but my own. 
Help me love, Lord. Help me forgive. Help me be merciful. Help me help folks. Help me speak the truth in love. See, the difference is you can speak the truth and you can cut somebody in two. But when you speak the truth in love, it's a good chance that, that it's going to make a difference. When we have our passion prayer here on Tuesday nights, we set the chairs in a circle. Many of you come. It is such an awesome time. Lately, we've been having a lot of newer folks. You know, I don't say mean new, new, but you know, new to the faith come. And I love that. Because what happens is, you're not going to grow probably anywhere faster than you are at a prayer circle where everybody here has come to give an hour of their time to pray for someone else. And I can imagine, I remember growing as a new believer when I would go to corporate prayer at the old uh, Spirit of Life building. And I would see people praying for others. My mama got saved in a prayer meeting. They were praying for the lost. And she says, I think y'all are praying for me. And it touched her that people would take time out of their schedule to pray for someone else. And it makes people... It, it, it causes them to grow. The love just is. Greater love is this than no man. No man than this that he lay down his life for his friends. And people come on Tuesdays to lay down their life for an hour. To pray for someone else. You want to grow in the things of God? Keep coming in the next level Wednesday. But make an hour on Tuesday. You will be surprised. Well, turn to First John four sixteen. I'll just say on a side note. The Bible says don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And I believe the main reason that we should not get married to an unbeliever other than that they're going to hell and we're going to heaven, that would be a terrible way to end your relationship when one of you dies, wouldn't it? But other than that, I mean, you may say, well, there's a chance that they could get saved or whatever. There's a chance that they could lead your children to hell with them too. Okay, but... The main reason that I would think that you wouldn't want to get married to an unbeliever is because they don't know love. They're confused about God's love or they're rejecting God's love. And they're going to act like the older son every time you get into a situation. They're going to love you good when they think they're getting what they want out of you. But the moment they don't agree with you, they're going to cut you to ribbons. Because they're only after self. Without love, they will always be looking out for their own best interest. So I don't know who that's for. But some of you single people or whatever, you better find somebody who has and understands the love of God or you will always be the one giving the love and never receiving it. 
It said a man is incomplete until he gets married. Then he's finished. It's not in the Bible. Same thing in your business dealings. Don't go into a partnership with an unbeliever. He's out for himself. Unbelievers only know one thing. What's best for me? Anybody at 1 John 4.16? All that was for free. We know how much God loves us. I hope you do. I hope you do. I know you do. And we have put our trust in His love. I wonder if He can put His trust in our love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. You see, there's a house called love. And either you're living in it, or you're living by yourself somewhere outside of it. And as we live in God... Our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence because we have lived like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. Say expels all fear. See, when you're living in this love, if you've got, a, you've got issues, you're afraid, you're, you're worried about how it's going to turn out, you're worried about your salvation and all these things. The confused people about love, they're always worried about everybody else's salvation. That must mean they're worried about their own. But when you're living in perfect love, you ain't worried about it. You're thinking, ain't nobody can love me this much and send me to hell. If we are afraid, it is fear for punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. See, he is, he is the source of love because God is love. And we have to stay with him. We got to stay all up in him and him all up in us. And we will grow in perfect love. And that will cast out all your fear for tomorrow, worries, anxieties, the fear of death, the fear of dying, the fear of that I don't know if I'm going to heaven or not. Meditating, contemplating, and receiving God's love grows our love. And the more mature you are in these things, it's evident. Everybody sees the love that you have. They're like, wow. And the world doesn't have an answer. For people who give so unselfishly. They don't, they don't know what the world. How could this happen? Why would somebody do something that's not for their own benefit? We'll close with Zephaniah 3.17. You don't have to turn there. It's hard to find. But it is in the Bible. You can look it up later. When you got an hour or so. Zephaniah 3.17 the Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. 
and He will rejoice over you with singing. He will quiet you with His love. You want to be in peace? You walk in God's love. You always choose the road of love. When you're tempted to fight, when you're tempted to argue your case, when you're tempted to do something that's selfish, and it's only for your benefit, and it's not, you're, you're, you're tempted to go back to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and through 7, and you're, you're quick to point other people's wrongs out, and you're rude, and you're all those things, you're creating turmoil within you. But if you'll stay with God, He is quick to quiet you with His love. And real love can live with no regrets. No regrets. You love like Jesus loved. Even if, even if you're put on a cross, you've got no regrets. You have died to this life and you are living into love. And you have been made perfect and, and mature and lacking nothing in this world and then one to come because you have been made one with love. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.